So I'm curious, um, you know, I've told you this before that in, in, when I'm different places and out and about, a lot of times I hesitate to tell people I'm a pastor. Not because I'm ashamed of it, because I've just noticed how it changes the dynamic in the conversation, depending on where they're coming from. So a lot of times, you know, if I mention I'm a minister, if that comes out right away, I get a lot of funny reactions. And I've told you this before, but one of the reactions I get commonly is they'll give me excuses why they haven't been to church. I'm not their pastor, and I don't know where they go to church. I wouldn't have known had they been to church. But they feel inclined because I'm a minister. Now I'm almost like a priest or something, and they confess. It's just weird. Sometimes I get a really sweet reaction where maybe they had a great relationship and they said, oh, I love my pastor. And they'll just tell me some stories, which is nice. And then sometimes I can tell that either they are, have, a, have a worldview that's against Christianity or angry or maybe they had a bad experience in a church and it gets really cold and frozen. So I hesitate sometimes. Because a lot of times as I'm talking to people, I'm just trying to get to know somebody. And this happened on a plane ride not too long ago. And, and um, it, as it came up, you know, we're talking and I... I told them I was a life coach, and so they kind of seemed to know what that was, and so they kept prying a little bit, so I said, well, it's kind of like a counselor, and, you know, I help people with life philosophy and success and that kind of thing, so then I, you know, I could tell that they were kind of on to me, so then I kind of, I kind of moved it around a little bit, and I said, well, I study ancient literature, and I, I teach philosophy, and I teach about ancient literature, and then I told them I was a motivational speaker, see, so far, I'm still on track, right? Okay, success coach, success coach, uh, teacher, a professional prayer. I mentioned that I pray professionally. And that's when they just started laughing because then they knew exactly what I was talking about. I, and I told them about how most family gatherings, you know, I'm the one that's called on to pray. And that's fine. I, I totally don't mind that. And a lot of times people think that's what we do all day. But it got to me th- uh, to thinking not too long ago because I remember I was thinking about high school days. And did anybody take the aptitude tests in high school where they kind of help you decide what you're supposed to be? Well, if you know me, I guess you would know this, but what my three top things were, were park ranger, clergy, <laughs> or uh, military, it's is pretty funny, and then right under that was medical and science type stuff, because I was really into that, but maybe you had that book, you know, What Colors Your Parachute, anybody have that in school? Well, I'm curious, what, what did you think you were going to be when you grew up? What did you want to be? Not all at once, but you wanted a, a teacher, okay, and you're doing that, okay, that's pretty huge, Yeah. Teacher, and, and you're doing that. Well, that's beautiful. Anybody else? Yes. Okay, commercial airline pilot. Oh, my goodness, okay. You don't have to raise your hand because I probably can't see it anyway. And if you're online, you can put it in the uh, subject line. Anybody else? I mean, I, I wrote down a bunch of things that I had heard about or thought about. I mean, firemen, right? Policemen, astronaut. Mechanic, teacher, we already said that. President, anybody want to be president? No. <laughs> uh, dad, mom. You know, I heard Matthew McConaughey talking about his, I guess he's got a new book out, and he was, he was, I didn't realize he was a Christian, but he was talking about how he knew from an early age he wanted to be a father. That was the number one thing he wanted to be. And uh, how about a doctor? Veterinarian? Nobody? Carpenter? Be like Jesus? Soldier? anything (laughs) it's funny how that goes because oftentimes your parents you know have a desire for something that they want you to be or maybe they see some attributes or qualities in you and they they try to you know help you go toward that because they know you'd be successful at that kind of thing you know maybe uh maybe that i know when i first started out in school i went i was pre-med i really wanted to be a missionary doctor i felt like that's what god wanted for me 
And so as I went, and then when I, when I decided to switch from, from uh, pre-med, from microbiology, change my science major to a liberal arts major to religion and Bible and, and go to Bible college, remember I was home talking to my grandmother, and uh, she had been a dental, dental hygienist, and she wanted all, all of us, all of my, myself and my cousins to be doctors. So she was like, what? You can't do that. Because your cousin's going to be an optometrist, and this one's going to be, and she went through this whole list, and I remember just looking at her, thanks, thanks, Grandma. I just, you know, poured out my heart to you, and um, she kind of shot me down there. And then I remember my grandfather wasn't, he was, he was ailing, and um, he called to me, and I went to his back room, and where he was in his bed, and he just, it was so funny. He goes, don't listen to her. <laughs> he just said, I loved, he just said, don't listen to her. And he, he, here's what he said. He goes, uh, if God has told you to do this, you need to do that. You need to do what God has told you to do, whatever it is. And it's interesting because as a young man, he, he grew up in a single parent household. He was actually my grandfather's first cousin and then married my grandmother years, like 15 years after my grandfather passed away. But at 17, he wanted to be an artist and everybody told him that was ridiculous. So he got, now he's old, of course, but he got on a, on a, back then a merchant marine ship, which just happened to have sails on it back then. <laughs> And uh, sailed to Hawaii, and he, he lived a life following a calling as an artist, just an incredible guy. I ask you all those things because I wonder what's your goal in life, or maybe what's the goal when you think about your kids? What do you want them to be when they grow up, or what do you want them to do? What do you, what do you want them to achieve? For a lot of our world, it seems like wealth is the ultimate goal, and if, if it's not a bank account with a bunch of commas, then, then it's not worth it. Or it seems like fame, you know, we... We almost worship at the idol of fame in our country so much where, you know, it could be TV or media or music or, you know, and you think about all these stars that have been around forever and all these shows. I mean, how many shows do we have to be a star these days? You know, or I, it's, it's, I can't even keep up with them all. And you see the, the people, maybe it's at one of the singing shows and they'll get up there and they'll just say, this is the, this is my life. And, and what they're saying is, if I don't get on this show, or if I don't win this, or if I don't become a professional singer, then my life is meaningless. And I watch those kids, and most of them, you know, they don't put them on unless they're not very good. And you're watching it and thinking, oh, Lord Jesus, there's more to life than that. I think about this, you know, it's, whether it's sports again, or music, or some type of performer, or maybe it's power, or, uh, you know, I, I mentioned uh, being a president or politics or, or acquiring things. There used to be those, remember when bumper stickers were more popular and there, there was that um, bumper sticker that said, you know, he who dies with the most toys still dies. Oh, there was two of them. The one said wins and then the other one said still dies. But yeah, who, whoever acquires the most toys still wins. But I think about that. You know, what do you want to accomplish in your life? What do you want your life to be worth and make a difference in? You know, for a lot of people, that's, that's really the heart of a, what a lot of people go through as a midlife crisis, where they get to a point in life and they think, well, what have I done? What has all this amounted to? You know, I thought life would be different. And sometimes it comes down to material things, and, and unfortunately, people judge themselves by comparing to maybe a classmate, or it could be a high school reunion, or something where they think, I don't have as nice or enough stuff, or the same, or my house is not the same, or whatever. But I'm, I wonder, though, what... What is it that you want your life to amount to? Do you want to make a difference? You can make a difference in a lot of ways. <laughs> I think I've told you this story before. It was embarrassing. But in high school, we had a youth pastor that uh, he called me and a friend of mine into his office one day. And we thought, what in the world? 
never been called to the office for anything. And so he sat us down and he said, you guys are leaders. You're just leading the wrong way. <laughs> we were like, what? He goes, you're just leading the wrong way. It's like you're the peanut gallery in church. Every, everything I say, you make a joke out of and you say this. And he goes, why don't you use your gifts and wit and talent for God? I remember just sitting there and thinking, oh, my goodness. I was just having fun. I didn't realize any of that mattered. It matters. God gives you things and he expects you to use them for his glory. And how you use those can make all the difference in the world. You think about people who've made a difference in our world for good or for bad. And, you know, if we were to list the bad ones, you could come up with a lot of examples of maybe military rulers or leaders or political leaders or state leaders from different countries or good ones, too. You could think of who's done things that make a difference Maybe for you, you're not even thinking about those big of picture, but you're thinking about people who've been good or bad in your life. I was talking to one of the teachers with Tamara just a few minutes ago about being a teacher and how difficult it is time right now for teachers where they're being forced to teach online and they don't have the resources and they can't really affect the kids' lives in the ways they want. And those of you who wanted to be teachers all of your lives, you, you didn't dream of doing that through a computer screen. It's not the same. And then as you think about it, think about um, how... You remember teachers who were good in your life. I guarantee most of us thought of somebody right now. I thought of Mrs. Delfo. I remember when I got put in her classroom, it was fifth grade, and I'd had a rough, uh, I'm telling you too much information today. I had a rough fourth grade because, go figure, I talked too much. And, uh, <laughs> and um, when I remember, it, for us, it was like a couple weeks before school, they would post on a, on a billboard at the school who your teacher was. And I remember riding my bike over there, and I was so upset because I had Mrs. Delfo. She was mean. Everybody knew she was mean. She was like the worst teacher, and nobody wanted her to be a teacher because she was mean. I loved her. She changed my life. She, she, I don't know what it was. She just was good. She connected in a way that other teachers didn't. And she cared. She loved her kids. Yeah, she was tough, but it was, it was a tough love that made you perform. She changed. I had her for sixth grade, too, and I'm so glad. You know that teacher, right? And you could also know that you can be an influence like that in somebody's life that is different. You can be something that changes everything. I wonder sometimes, you know, what has God called you to do? Has he called you to be that kind of a person who encourages and changes people's lives whenever they connect with you? That they can't wait to see you. And it may be just a casual connection. But, you know, they've done studies. And they've, they've studied kids who grew up in, in really difficult neighborhoods. Maybe with no father. Or maybe with, you know, poverty. And they find that one or two of those kids in a family of seven ends up achieving huge things in life. What was the difference? And oftentimes they find it's just one caring adult. And what's interesting, they've gone deep and dug into those statistics and found that a lot of times the adult didn't even know that they did that. They didn't even know that the little things they said or maybe it was something they wrote on a test like, man, you're really smart or you could really be something. And that one thing changed everything. You don't ever know. You never know what, what it's going to mean when you encounter somebody going through life like this. Maybe you feel like you're going to right the wrongs of society and be a crusader. Maybe for you, you've always wanted to raise really good kids. People ask me what I want for my kids. I tell them. I want him to love Jesus. I want him to know him like I know him. I want him to live for him. I want him to give Jesus to everybody they encounter. I want him to love him, live him, and give him. 
The rest of it, yeah, it matters, but nothing matters like that matters. Nothing else matters. I ask you, what's your purpose in your life? What is it? How are you going to live out the gifts that God has given you in a pleasing way? He's given each and every one of us different gifts. Now, of course, when I was younger, and I almost said immature, as if I'm not now, uh, more immature, I thought everybody needed to be like me. And that, that whatever gifts I had, those were the best things. And I, I've, I've grown and seen how God uses people for whatever it is. He's given each and every one of us something that, that as, you, as you use that gift, He is glorified. He's glorified because He created and put it in you. And the most important thing you could hear at the end of your life is, Well done, my good and faithful servant. There's that old verse that you know, most of us have heard all our lives. If you raise up a child in the way they should go, that when he was older, he will not depart from it. And I know we hold on to that verse, especially maybe if you've had a child that's wandered away from the faith. What, what that verse is also talking about, though, is finding out that the word there, how they should go in Hebrew, is actually bent. What it means is what their giftings are. What are they bent to do? Because every one of us has gifts that are beautiful, What I wonder, though, is what is your purpose? What have you been striving to do? What what has God put you on this earth to do? For a lot of people, I've heard it said it's like this, like maybe you can discover that by thinking if you were performing in your life as a performance, maybe like say you're in a, a stadium or a track, who's in the stands and what are they cheering? For a lot of people, they're trying to achieve things that really wasn't what God had for them, but maybe they had a parent they could never please, and they're still trying to convince them that they're going to turn out all right. Okay, I'm going to tell, tell you how many kids I've said, talked to have said, oh, their parents said, you'll, be, you'll never be anything. You're just going to grow up and be just like your dad. And I've been able to tell them, no, God takes good things, and he puts good things in you, and he makes things be as, as if they never were, and, and he can change things and make them beautiful. It's what he does. He takes situations and turns them into beautiful things. <laughs> Romans 8.28 is a beautiful verse. And basically what it says is he, takes, he, he works all things for his glory and his good. Whatever it is. I don't know who you're performing for or what you thought your purpose was in life. This passage of scripture I want to go over today is in Philippians chapter 3. Whenever you look at scripture, I want, I want to make sure you do it in a way. You, you need to ask a few questions. Whatever scripture you're looking at, and you know I kid around with you all the time, don't read a Bible verse. What I mean is don't read just one. It was never written to be standalone one verses. And in fact, in Philippians, we know who wrote it. It was Paul. And he was writing to a church that he had founded and created. It's a church where he felt a personal relationship with, like a father to spiritual children. And why did he write it? And what it is, it's a letter. A lot of times in our New Testament, we look at these books and we think of them as books and part of the larger whole, which they are. But they were letters. They were originally letters. How many of you just read a line in a letter or a sentence or a paragraph? You don't. You read the whole letter. And as you read through it, 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 it adds meaning to it that just picking out a verse wouldn't do. And you've you got to ask these questions. What's going on in this passage? And in this case, he's writing to a church. An entire church. The letter was meant to be read to the church. 
And then we know that in the early church, what they would do is take these letters and circulate them around to other churches. That's why we could feel confident that even though we're 2,000 years later and we're not, this city was called Philippi, we're not in Asia Minor today, we're here in Lee Summit, this letter can be read to us and you can receive it as a Christian who would have been sitting in the pew that day. What did the author intend to write? What did Paul mean for them to understand? And how did the things he said, how did they land on those people? What did they think he meant? If I just take any letter in the Bible and read into it what I want to hear, then all I've done is written my own gospel, which, no offense, isn't worth a whole lot. That's just my opinion. I, I, don't, I don't want you to put your opinion on it, and I don't want my opinion. I want God's opinion. What was he writing to these people? He's saying some things here that really, as we read them through, it could be difficult to hear because some of it's correction, as a father should do. Some of it's celebration, as a father should do. But as we read it, I want you to hear it that way. So it starts off in chapter 3, verse 1. Whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. I never get tired of telling you these things, and I do it to safeguard your faith. (laughs) He says, whatever happens. And I don't know about you, but it's hard for me not to think about whatever is happening in my life, which is okay. But the first thing I need to consider is what was he talking about them? What was the whatever they were thinking of? What kind of hardships were they enduring as a young church in a difficult place where nobody around them were Christians? Now, you may feel like that today because our our country has changed quite a bit. It's no longer a nation full of Christians who've been Christians for generations. A lot of the people you encounter have either never been Christians or rejected Christianity. So maybe the whatever is related to that. But he says all of this, whatever happens, rejoice in the Lord. You may be upset about something going on. It may be the election. It may be something in your family. Maybe somebody you know is sick. Maybe your job. Whatever happens, he wants you to rejoice. And then he goes on to say that that will safeguard your faith. It doesn't mean you're just supposed to be ignorantly happy about everything. What it means is there's a God in heaven who cares about you, knows who you are, and is working through this. So then he refers to something which, if you read this in our context today, it may sound really crazy. He says, watch out for those dogs, those people who do evil, those mutilators who say you are to be circumcised to be saved. Sounds weird, doesn't it? Not a verse you're going to paste on your mirror at home in the bathroom. For we who worship by the Spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised. We rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us. We put no confidence in human effort, though I could have confidence in my own effort if anyone could. Indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. Now, you may read that one, that one uh, paragraph and think, what in the world is he talking about? What he's talking about is that there were Christians who had, who had become Christians, but they felt like it was only right if you would keep some of the Jewish religion with Christianity. And even though Paul had been preaching, no, we're free from the old law, from the covenant, they kept trying to bring it back in. And they kept saying, no, you need to be circumcised to be fully Christian. And they added other things too, certain feasts that they should have uh, still uh, maintained. Some of them were even saying, no, you still need to worship on Saturday. And what Paul kept telling them is this, none of these religious acts make us more holy The only thing that makes us holy is our relationship with Jesus himself. In the the letter to the Ephesians, he said it this way. He said, God saved you by his grace when you believed, and you cannot take credit for this. It is a gift of God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. You can't do any, but we do it too, right? 
Aren't there religious things we do or act like that make us feel a little more holy? I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. But think about this. Could you do the religious things and not be holy? If it's just an outward act, it means nothing. It doesn't add up to anything. It's not like you get to heaven and say, but God, I did this or this or this or this. He's going to say, really? Because your heart wasn't changed. And what did you do about Jesus? It reminds me of that, those first few verses from 1 Corinthians we, we talked about last week in 1 Corinthians 13. If I could speak all the languages of the earth and angels, but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy, and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, if I had such faith that I could move mountains, but didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I get, have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it, but if I didn't have love, I would have gained nothing. Does God want you to give? Yes. But giving itself doesn't make you holy. It's the heart in which you give. Paul goes on. Remember, he was saying how if anybody had room to boast, it would be him. So he talks about some of those Jewish things that he could have boasted in. He says, I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I am pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. He was a professional Christian, wasn't he? He was an uber-Christian. I think what he's saying there is, look, if all we're going to do is compare things, the fact is I would be better at it. But none of that saves you. None of following the Jewish law makes you holy enough. There's no way it would work that way. And then he, he goes on to explain, I once thought that these things were valuable. And now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared uh, with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it as garbage. That's pretty brutal. Garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him and sharing in his death so that one way or another I will experience the resurrection from the dead. He goes on, he talks about all those things that used to be the measure of holiness. He considers them trash. None of it matters. The only thing that matters is actually having a real relationship with Jesus. Now, I don't think any of you have been trusting in those kinds of things. I don't. But I know there's things that we do think about. And, and maybe for you, you know, it could be something different. I know there's times where, you know, sometimes I'm, I'm thinking, well, have I prayed enough today? Yeah, I prayed. And I'm, I feel like I'm talking to God like, remember, you, you know, right? Remember? It's like I'm bargaining. You know, wait, it's so stupid. I look at myself and I think, you're such a moron. But I already prayed 15 minutes today. <laughs> and he just laughs. And he says, really? Because I felt like it was a minute. And I'd love to spend more time with you. And I think, God, I want my heart to be so close to you that I can't wait to spend time with you. And I'm not racing to get over or through it. None of that matters. And Paul, in his humility, he says, I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection. But I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus 
first possessed me. I love the wordplay there. I press on to possess the perfection which Christ Jesus already first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I've not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing. Forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. Let all who are spiritually mature agree on these things. And if you disagree on some point, I believe that God will make it plain to you. You can tell it's a letter there, right? If you don't agree with me yet, I think God's going to make it clear to you. But we must hold on to the progress we've already made. What is he saying? He's saying here he wants to press on into Christ. It does matter what you do, but it's not the things you do that make you holy. It's the reason you do them. So you could spend hours in prayer and hours in reading the Bible. You can memorize the entire thing. But if it doesn't change your heart and it doesn't draw you into deeper relationship, it's worthless. You can have degrees after your name forever and ever. And you can have all these wonderful things. And you can literally, like we read, you can give everything. But if you're doing it with the wrong heart, none of it matters. That ends up being just our own selfishness. And what he's saying by pressing on is we need to lay down our selfishness, lay down our right to offense, lay down the things that we want to do and look toward him. He closes this part of his letter, and it gets kind of difficult to read. But I want you to hear it today. I feel like you needed to hear this. We all need to hear it. Dear brothers and sisters, pattern your lives after mine and learn from those who follow our example. For I've told you often before, I say it again with tears in my eyes. I I envision this. He's writing this, and he's tearing up and crying as he's writing it. Because he knows who he's writing the letter to. He knows the people he's talking. He's talking about real people, real people who lived a real life. And he says this. There are many whose conduct shows that they are really enemies of the cross of Christ. That's heavy, heavy duty. They are headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite. And they brag about shameful things and they think only about life here on earth. But we are citizens of heaven Where the Lord Jesus Christ lives, we are eagerly waiting his return as our Savior. He will take our weak, mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own, using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control. It's heavy, isn't it? His tears, his his eyes are filling with tears. He says, some whose conduct shows that they're enemies of the cross. And I sat there and I pondered that for days. What is he talking about? What is he talking about? What could he possibly mean? He'd just gone through talking about how people have an act or a show of holiness, but, but that's not real. Is he talking about things like that, that maybe from the external we would look at and say, man, that person's got it all together? Like they're a great Christian, we can tell by the way they live, or maybe they wear a Christian t-shirt or something. I don't know. Bumper sticker on the car. What's he talking about? But this is heavy. He's saying by their conduct, they show that they are, they are actually fighting against the cross of Christ. What is he saying? Was it just base selfishness? Maybe they were doing things just for show. Maybe their heart had truly not been changed. And all they were doing was just an act. I don't know. And then he goes on to explain a little bit. And he says that their appetite is their God. Was it straight up gluttony? I don't know. Or what did he mean appetite in a way that maybe their sexual desires were out of balance? Maybe what he meant was that their lust for wealth or power or control made it in such a way that that appetite had grown and become an idol for them. I don't know. 
but he's calling them to change the way they look at their life. And he's reminding them, you're not really citizens here on earth, you're citizens of heaven. Now, how do we do that? How do we, how do we live as citizens of heaven, yet we live here on earth? What does that actually look like for us? What does it even mean? I want to borrow this example from Francis Chan. It's, it, it struck me in a way, I hope it strikes you. You see this rope right here? It actually goes on a long ways back there. But I want you to imagine it actually goes on forever and ever and ever. This is your life. Now you as a Christian, you've already entered eternity with Christ and you're going to be living eternity forever. But right now we're living in this little tiny part right here. Do you see this? This little, I, I blackened that in with a Sharpie today. And now it's on my fingers. This is us. We live on earth for this much. This much. That's it. And then really, our, our real life with God goes on for eternity. But think about this for a minute. How much do we invest in just this part? And we never realize or think about the fact that our life actually goes on forever. And there's an eternity that we should be thinking about all the time because we're citizens of heaven. We live in the earth right now here, but the things we do here can, can affect just here, just this little bit. Or they can affect everything forever. You eat, we actually have a choice. The people we interact with and how we interact and what we do with the gifts that God has given us. All those things. You could be investing in just this or all of that. Every decision you make affects this or that. And you can choose. And I think about this and I read this and I think about the people here. He's saying that there's people who are actually fighting against the cross of Christ. And everything they do is going to end up here. And I know there's a lot of things I've done in my life that, good or bad, whatever, good, it just ends here. And then think about how much investment you could have that would go on and on and on. And I know it's a bad public speaking rule to leave a prop on the stage, but I'm going to do it so it bugs you and you keep looking at it. I want you to think about this as I've been thinking about it. Who was Paul writing to? Was he writing to preachers? Because we do everything right, right? And nothing ever selfish, and we never have bad motives, and never, right? I hope you, hope you know better than that. It applies to us. He's writing to every one of us as a Christian, every single one. We're all called to this. Pastor Nick, if you could join me up here. I think about this, and I... I really did a lot of soul searching this week as I was reading this. I can't tell you how many times I was doing something and all I could see was that little tiny black tip on the end of a long white rope and thinking, and what I'm doing today, is this really important? I mean, important in terms of eternity, not important because I need to get this done. I mean, what does it really matter? I mean, I, honestly, I kept thinking, God, what do you want me to do that's really going to change all of this? And what does this mean? Does it mean we all need to just go to Bible college? Does it mean I need to be a monk and memorize the Bible on a hill somewhere? Does it mean we all need to stand on the corner and preach, get a sign? And What does it mean? Does it mean you quit your job and just volunteer here 24-7? What does it mean? What will make eternal difference? Here's, here's something that I think is an easy mistake to make. And I, I hope none of you have, and probably none of you have, but to think that my job is more important than your job. 
in this. You, you know what my job is? My job's to equip you to do your job. Your job's actually the goal. That's the important part. Paul didn't write this to preachers. He wrote it to a church, to people like you. And basically what he's trying to say is you are, you are, you are, you are uh, residents of heaven. Your, heaven is your home. That's your ultimate destiny. And our goal in life is to know him and to take as many people with us as possible. So the question is, what are you doing in whatever gift God has given you, whatever job, whatever profession, whatever hobby, whatever you do, what are you doing that has eternal value? Not just this little tiny piece right here. I think about this. My job is equipped to equip you to do that. I think about this. And this, uh, this is what really a haunting question that Francis Chan asked when I saw this example, and it just haunted me all week, is... What have I done this week that will actually have eternal uh, significance? What have you done this week that will have eternal significance? Before you feel too bad about that, you've probably done a lot. Because if you've been living for Christ this week and living out your faith, I'll bet you, just like Mrs. Delpho in my life, you've had a significant impact on somebody that will last for eternity, and you may not even have realized it. What I'm asking you to do is do that with intentionality, because there's people you encounter, you choose to encounter, or choose not to encounter, which may be a God-appointed moment for you to actually affect their destiny forever and ever and ever. I think about this. What, what are the gifts that God's given you, and what's the part that he wants you to play, and what, what are you doing with your life and the things that he's given you? Is it just for you? Are you just enjoying it for you? Or is it something that you can share and, and multiply it in a huge, enormous way? I don't know about you. I mean, I'm not talking about money. Although money's a huge thing. I don't really believe God has given us money just for us. I believe he's given it to us for, for us to do great things with it and to share it. I'm not talking about you. I'm not going to pass the plate again. I'm not talking about us talking about the people that you can bless and the lives that you can change. And I'm thank you so much for blessing Coldwater and, and blessing uh, Lafayette Orphan and, and Adoption Care. And thank you so much for all of those things that you guys have given. And the Christmas boxes, those are awesome. And that's what I'm talking about. But I'm not just talking about that. There's other things. God has given each of us a, a personality that sometimes you sharing that is beautiful and it makes a difference in people's lives. A lot of times when we talk about gifts God has given, you, you might think of those who were leading worship a few minutes ago and the talents and the skills. And it's not just that. For some of you, it's the creative arts that he's given you and the way that you encourage. For some of you, it's just caring enough to notice. Someone was telling me this week about how they were tipping in, in the line at McDonald's. And I, they were talking about how shocked the person was because they never get a tip. Ever. Think about that. Think about how you could change someone's life just by caring, just by serving. I was thinking about the meaning that I've gained over the years from volunteering. I was talking to someone earlier in the week, and, and um, I started teaching Sunday school when I, was in, when I was in eighth grade to third graders. And I'm so glad I got to do that. I would never trade those experiences for any, I, I guarantee I got more out of it than any of them. Something about it when you serve and you give and you, 
But I think, what, what are you doing on a daily basis? Is there somebody that you could bring along with you and that you could mentor them or train them or just encourage them? Whatever you do in your life, God can use that to further his kingdom. It can have eternal significance if you choose to let it have it that be that way. It doesn't matter if you're in high school or middle school or if you're in the, the senior years. None of that matters. What matters is what you do with that. I want us to shut your eyes for a minute. As I've been praying over this sermon today and thinking about it, I, in this week, I was out somewhere just alone, just praying, thinking about it. And, um, but it was a, a public place, and, and God just struck me how I don't know anything about the lives. It was, I was sitting, I, I just got a quick trip, and I was sitting in my truck for a minute and watching people walk in and just thinking, I wonder what their life is like. I wonder if they know Jesus. I wasn't wondering how much money they had or anything else. It's just the thought just kept hitting me. I wonder if they know him. Do they know him? What would it take for them to give their life to him or to open their heart to him? What, what, what would it be? And as I walked in there and, you know, just said hello to people, and obviously with masks, it's difficult to communicate, not like we did before, but, you know, the smiles you get and, just saying hello to people who maybe no one said hi to them all day today. I don't know. Then I started to think, God, who, who have uniquely put into my life that I could be the one person that might say or do the thing that would either plant a seed in their heart, that would open their heart or mind toward Christ, or maybe water a seed, or maybe you would give me words to say to them that would be the change forever for them, and it would have eternal significance. So with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I, I never want to miss this opportunity. There may be somebody here in the room today, and maybe, maybe as I've been talking, you've thought about maybe giving Jesus a chance in your life. And as I've been talking, maybe you've sat there and you've thought, you know what? I don't have a relationship with him, but I want one. Maybe you're watching online, and you would let us know that. You could, you could always email prayer at crownpointchurch.com and let us know. But anybody here, you would like to start a relationship with Jesus today? And if you would raise your hand, we would just pray with you. All of us together would pray. Anybody at all? Just give a moment. With your head still bowed and your eyes closed, I just want to challenge you with this today. I hope this hits you like it's hit me. What have you done this week that will have eternal significance what can you do today that will make a difference in eternity well, you still have a lot of day left what could you day do today would it be a text or an email or a phone call or an encounter that you have with somebody maybe it's someone in your own home and you never thought about the fact that you literally can affect their eternal destiny today with that thought on your mind I want to pray for you as we uh, go out today God bless you. If you're still bringing, you know, turkeys for cold water or your boxes, we, we appreciate that. God bless you. Would you stand with me? Let me pray over us today. Father, I, I stand here with my, my brothers and sisters, and I pray that you would help us 
with every word, with every attitude, with every comment, with everything we do in service, with everything we give, God, I pray that we would be making eternal significance in the lives of everybody we encounter today. I pray that in the name of Jesus. Give us creativity we need. Give us the boldness if that's what's required. I pray that you would set up those divine appointments for us as we walk out of this place to bless every single person and literally change their destiny. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. God bless you. Greet some people today on your way out.